Say you're a professional landscaper. You're not just tough. You're professional grade. And so are your tools. Because you got best-in-class Echo X series products. You got a perfect balance of power, weight, and performance from a professional-grade 56-volt battery system. Max-out battery tech that gives 100% power till a 0% charge. Echo X series means best-in-class tools for best-in-class pros. So when we say Echo is professional-grade, we mean it. Echo. Power on and on. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joel Show podcast. Today on the pod, the Metro Vancouver board votes and supports a quicker move away from fossil fuels. So who's ready to discard their natural gas stove? And is shrinking the size of Vancouver's single-family homes going to lead to greater density in the city? And we also speak to Campbell Rivers Mayor as his community formerly passes a public drug consumption ban. And how do you manage your lawn with the upcoming watering restrictions? That's all next on the Jazz Johal Show podcast. Last Friday, the Metro Vancouver Board voted 84-50 in support of accelerating a faster move away from fossil fuels. Now, the original recommendations were advocated by the City of Richmond and endorsed by uh, Metro staff uh, in early July. Now, the vote includes asking the BC government to enact legislation to speed up the transition away from natural gas. Now, Fortis BC asked Metro Vancouver to reject recommendations for a quicker move away from fossil fuels. The move was also not supported by various businesses associations. Now, joining me to discuss the issue is the mayor of Vancouver, Richmond, rather, Malcolm Brody. Hello, Malcolm. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Jazz. Just get that one right. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Whole different set of issues there, but I tell you that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's touch on this issue because it is a, it's a big one. Uh, broadly speaking, explain to me how the city came up with this motion and what this uh, vote on Friday does. Um. The city of Richmond, uh, I believe we've been a leader in terms of the environment and uh, a progressive approach towards the reduction of the greenhouse gas emissions in our city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't say we're the only one, but I, I think that we have been uh, one of the uh, really progressive voices there. Um, largely because of our uh, the situation involving our district energy, which is a major source of of uh, heating and cooling for the areas in the city center where we are expanding. Uh, right now, we're heating and cooling about 5 million square feet. And in the next couple decades, it's going to go up tenfold. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has brought us in contact with a lot of the players in that field in a very... Uh, intense way. And so uh, a report has been drawn outlining some of the very significant challenges that we have to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions over a period of time. We've got lofty targets to get to uh, by 2030 and then to get to a uh, net zero situation by 2050. Uh, The feeling is it's not going fast enough and so we want to encourage in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions and particularly the gas industry uh, to get to a far better place far quicker than is the situation right now. Does, this, does the region need to worry about this and just leave it to the provincial government to decide how they wish to do it? I mean, I, I understand the issue of climate change. We just had Andrew Weaver on yesterday talking about how, how um, warm July has been globally. Uh, and of course, we see the images of wildfires every night on our, on our uh, local newscasts. Um, why does Metro Vancouver want to be involved in this? Don't you think you should just leave it to the, the BC government? Uh, 
I think it's the responsibility of all the uh, parties uh, in government, whether you're at the local, provincial, or federal level. Uh, At the Metro Vancouver level, uh, we have the Climate 2050 Energy Roadmap, and really what we're advocating here is to follow that roadmap but do it at a quicker pace. Mm -hmm. Now, so... I know Fortis BC sent a, a letter uh, expressing some of their uh, concerns. Um, you know, some have said the banning natural gas from new buildings would limit choice for customers, uh, even decrease energy affordability, and might put too much pressure on an electricity system that uh, is is going to be challenged over the next few years as more of us move to EVs. Uh, and there's been already talk about needing more uh, more electricity in this province beyond uh, site C. What do you say to that argument that uh, this may put system this may put pressure on our energy system? Well, we know that we know that when we uh, advocate for environmental uh, progression mm-hmm. and uh, to get to a better situation with the energy situation, we know that there is pushback on the the economic side of things, and that's what I believe this letter was all about. Mm-hmm. But let me give you an example, if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there's something called RNG, which is renewable natural gas. Yes, it is recaptured natural gas, and it's a really a valuable resource. And so the proposal by the uh, by Fortis which regulates it, is that the uh, renewable natural gas would be used in new construction. So the existing ratepayers will not get the benefit of the renewable natural gas. It will go all to the new ratepayers. But the existing ratepayers over the next six or eight years, over an eight-year period, that there's going to be a subsidy borne by those existing users of $750 million. So, so the existing ratepayers get none of the benefits, and they're being asked to give a $750 million subsidy. Mm-hmm. When, if you look to a new building, uh, whether it's a single-family home or a commercial building, you can... At, at the building stage, you can go to the alternative energies fairly readily. So you can electrify it or you can use other sources. Um, whereas the existing building, it's it's far harder to do that. Mm-hmm. But all the benefit of the RNG is going to go to the new buildings where there are alternatives at the expense of the existing users where there aren't the alternatives. That's just one example uh, of, you know, the em- economic ramifications of it all. So in, just in pra- practical purposes, let's just say legislation is enacted and, you know, I, we won't have the specifics yet, but let's say it's done. Basically, would that mean every new home in, in the lower main that is built would not have any, would, not, would, not, would there be no natural gas? You wouldn't use it to, for your stove, whatever it may be. We would be relying on electricity. It would be electric stoves. It would just be the, complete banning of natural gas? Uh, no, I, I think that that is going too far, Jazz. And I, I really I really hesitate to get into that kind of level of detail hmm. when the, the recommendation by Metro Vancouver staff, which was adopted by the board as a whole, was simply basically to get some... Uh, expedited legislation and, and process in terms of the gas industry. 
Well, you've certainly spooked them if they're writing a letter to you along with Business Association, including the Vancouver Border Trade. So you've, you've shook the cage a little bit there, Malcolm, all of you collectively. And I'm not saying it's a, a bad thing, but you've certainly shook the cage. Well, I, I think that we, you know, it justifies the, the discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should all participate in that discussion and just see what we want to do. I mean, are, are we serious about the effects of climate change and doing something about it, or are we going to talk about it forever until it until someone else has to talk about it? Yeah. Malcolm, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Anytime, Jazz. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, last week we talked about Vancouver considering changes to zoning development bylaws allowing multiplexes on single lots. Now, up to six units could be built on one lot if the changes get approved. It would also allow the creation of larger laneway homes. What we didn't spend a lot of time talking about was that a newly built detached single-family house could only use the equivalent of 60% of a lot's area. So that would be about 2,400 square feet. Now, a multiplex, if it was permitted, would be you'd be able to build would be able to build up to 4026 square feet on that same lot so an average vancouver lot about 33 by 122 feet uh, you could build a 2400 square foot home which is roughly 400 square feet less than what you can do presently now some critics have said city hall is trying to discourage single detached homes by making them smaller joining me now to discuss the issue is ron rapp ceo of the home builders association of Vancouver. Ron, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, what are your members saying in regards to these proposed rules that would reduce uh, the size of an average uh, Vancouver home by about 400 square feet? Well, uh, it's not something that uh, we're particularly um, fond of supporting. I understand the idea is to uh, disincentivize or disincentivize the construction of large single-family homes in lieu of uh, either multiplexes or a combination of single-family home with a suite and um, laneway home. But by the same token, and as noted um, by some of the documentation and correspondence that's been shared with the city, uh, there are concerns on a number of fronts from a number of industry professionals that diminishing the size of the single-family home by about 400 square feet, as you've mentioned, uh, would... uh, inherently reduce the amount of flexibility that would be available to um, uh, living in circumstances, uh, particularly in a multi-generational scenario or uh, in the uh, provision of uh, additional suites within the context of that home at a future date. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you go about it? How do you think the city should go about it in regards to encouraging 
um, more scarce footage on uh, more options uh, to live on one single lot. You know, we have laneway homes, we have basement suites. Um, how do you think the city needs to go about greater density and, and ultimately more housing in the city? Well, firstly, you know, we're quite supportive of the idea that uh, of the central density initiative that is being undertaken by the city, which would allow for anywhere from four to six units on a single family lot. Uh, that kind of introduction uh, or the introduction of that kind of density is, is appropriate to what's, uh, what we're trying to do in a way of finding opportunity for the uh, missing middle, uh, that is to say people who cannot fit into the higher end uh, provisions of housing or into the uh, subsidized housing uh, bracket. So it does create opportunity, and often those opportunities are extended to family members or, you know, um, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. It is not necessarily an open market call. But by the same token, uh, what we'd like to see is that there's a flexible opportunity for the division or the uh, attribution of the floor space that would be available. So in a floor space ratio scenario where uh, the given lot is um, X by X in terms of size in the context of a typical uh, lot in uh, the city of Vancouver, that would be about 33 by 122, which uh, yields an area of uh, about 4,000 some odd square feet at 0.7, uh, and which is the current um, uh, level of floor space ratio that's available, that would yield a home of about 2,800 square feet. By diminishing that to 0.6, that would give you a home of about uh, 2,400 square feet, but they've made the provision for a laneway home slightly larger so that a uh, laneway home could um, account for about 0.25 of that floor area. And that would put it in uh, around the 900 to 1,000 square foot range. But overall, what we're looking for is, is the flexibility to attribute that floor space where it needs to be, whether it be in the house itself, in the main body of the house, or in the laneway home. The laneway home could be smaller. The house could be a little bit larger, and you know, determining on uh, how you want to use that space, which is pertinent to everybody's individual needs. How big is a laneway home now? What's what are the rules now? Uh, I believe it's at about 0.16, if I'm not mistaken, and that would uh, provide a laneway home that I think would max out at um, around 900 square feet. So the typical is falling between 700 and 800 square feet. Okay, so it gives you a couple hundred more square feet if, with, with the new potential rules. Um, I'm just curious, how much of a role do multi-generational families now play in regards to just sale of single-family homes? In the sale of single-family homes? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really say in that regard, but I know that uh, from several of our members who are working in this space, and particularly with laneway homes, it is a significant uh, uh, driver of uh, what is putting laneway homes in place, that uh, creating opportunity for other family members. In some cases, it might be the parents who uh, move out of the main body of the house into the laneway home, mm-hmm. making the larger home available to their um, children and their in children in turn, like in, in a family scenario. Or conversely, the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, principal owner would stay in the main house and uh, have the support of having family available in the uh, in the uh, laneway home, and that can additionally be augmented with a suite. I mean, at the moment, if you're going to have a single-family home uh, on a single-family lot in Vancouver, the maximum number of suites you can have or accessory dwelling units is three. So you might have a suite and, uh, the, uh, and the main body of the house, you know, uh, and as well as the laneway home, 
which would then accommodate potentially, you know, three separate parties uh, living in that property. Mm-hmm. And in one instance, I believe one of our members has indicated that it's over 80% that are in a multi-generational type of scenario mm-hmm. uh, in the product that we're providing. I'm curious, with the desire to build more suites on a single-family lot, uh, it's sort of a two-part question. Uh, a, is that practical in the sense of just the amount of sewage and piping that is needed, number one? Number two, do you actually have the manpower as an industry to build those uh, particular sort of units on a, on a, on a single-family lot or perhaps a bigger single-family lot? Because labor is still very much a challenge too, isn't it? And then you add to that parking... How practical do you think the, this was going to be in regards to people actually saying, I'm going to go forward and do this. It's going to be a headache for me in regards to planning and all that, but I will still put up with just the 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 the, 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 the sewage that will be needed, the sewage system that needs to be put in, the parking challenges that may be there for, for future in, in, in on that street, and just a practical, pragmatic thing of just moving forward and doing all this because you still need the labor. How practical do you think this is, this move towards more uh, units on a single-family lot? Well, fundamentally, it's one more tool in the box. Um, you know, we'd need to be able to find a way to uh, increase our density, to to take our very expensive land and um, basically um, break that into more affordable pieces on an individual uh, unit basis to create more affordable opportunities. And uh, while it is not necessarily uh, a wholesale development play, I see that this is going to unfold much the same way as Laneway Homes did in the, in the get-go, where it kind of grows organically and is uh, looked at on an as-needed basis. One of the uh, issues that is driving this, excuse me, there's a siren going past here. Not a problem. It's big city life. <laughs> um, one of the issues is that in many cases, uh, some of the homes that are being looked at for this uh, sort of a housing initiative would be underutilized. That is to say that they are now um, empty nesters who are uh, sitting in a family home that is much larger than what their, their individual needs are. Uh, at the same time, their children are looking for opportunities for housing. So from a sewage standpoint, it's not that big a challenge. There are, of course, areas in the city that uh, would have uh, varying degrees capacity and that may need to be addressed but overall you're looking at using the excessive or the the capacity that's already inherent there because to some degree these uh, properties are being underutilized mm-hmm. uh, as far as the labor component goes that is a challenge to be sure uh, but as I said I don't see that this is going to take off and go thousands of homes being undertaken in this respect and it's also going to ask for or look at a, a um, a different form of, of how to approach uh, this kind of housing because you're in an infill situation. You haven't got a lot of room to stage and uh, to uh, maneuver or store materials, etc. So there'll probably be a lot of uh, off-site construction, panelized, maybe even prefab of some sort that can be brought to bear. And uh, as this uh, gains more momentum and more uh, elements of the industry start to uh, embrace this kind of uh, a scenario or this kind of a genre, uh, it's going to become more streamlined and uh, using whatever available resources there are more effectively. Uh, Ron, final question. How uh, confident are you that the city is going to listen here, that potentially you might be able to 
say, look, here's the square footage that you built on a property and you can decide based on your needs that either that extra square footage goes towards the home or the laneway home. How um, confident are you the city is willing to listen uh, to that particular proposal and perhaps even implement it? Uh, well, uh, we'll see. There's going to be public hearings in September and uh, everyone's concerns can be brought forward at that time. Um, right now, in terms of this uh, concept overall, uh, which the province is also working on at the same time, uh, we're looking to see that there's some kind of alignment between what's happening with the city and with the province, and those things, things uh, should really happen in tandem. So what we're hoping for is that the city will you know, take these concerns into account. We are making the same representations to uh, the folks of the province who are looking after the similar uh, regulation to be a pro, uh, to be applied province-wide, and we're looking to see that there is some congruence between the two initiatives. So the concerns that we've raised are we want to be able to ensure that there's significant flexibility there to create the maximum opportunity both now and into the future. Uh, at the same time, there are issues with uh, title and the opportunity for stratification. There are concerns with, uh, with uh, service capacity, but not so much in the sewers as it is with the hydro capacity, and that's another big issue uh, that is, uh, is uh, at the forefront. So fundamentally, it's the alignment, the flexibility, and the service capacity of the three major issues that we want to ensure are being adequately uh, addressed. So you, you mentioned that the hydro capacity is just a question of rewiring everything and just dealing with the amount of capacity and, and, and then draw, and the need that's going to be there if we head in this direction when it comes to just hydro. Yeah, well, that's the question. And in many cases, you know, we're seeing uh, an initiative that has been brought forward to address climate issues that would basically suggest that there's 100% um, electrification. That is to say, all of the space heating, domestic hot water heating, uh, heat pumps, uh, EV charging, all of these are, are loads that, um, you know, might be in excess of what has normally been uh, attributed to any particular property. And now if we're putting multiple units on those properties, those uh, um, loads are going to be expanded. And uh, in some cases, uh, that's not available. So uh, homeowners are finding themselves in a position where they have to significantly um, raise the level of service capacity available to them from, from an electrical standpoint, and that in turn can be quite expensive. It may uh, call for a, a different uh, type of transformer or certainly a larger transformer, which carries a significant cost attached to it. Mm -hmm. Ron, uh, thank you so much for your time. Look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you so much. Let's revisit our top story today. Uh, at 3 o'clock, we spoke to Richmond Mayor uh, Malcolm Brody. Uh, we were talking about a vote that took place on Friday. Uh, the Metro Vancouver Board voted 84-50 in support of accelerating a faster move away from fossil fuels. Uh, it was the board basically asking uh, uh, the BC government to enact legislation to speed up the transition away from natural gas. Uh, the original recommendations were advocated by the city of Richmond and endorsed by Metro staff in, in early July. Uh, now, the vote did pass. I do want to say that Fortis, BC, uh, asked Metro Vancouver's board to reject the recommendations uh, for the uh, faster move away from fossil fuels. The move was also not supported by a variety of businesses uh, business associations. Now, the vote was 8450. Uh, one of the individuals who was there as well was Dylan Kruger, who was a city councillor in Delta. Dylan, thank you for joining us today. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, when this vote came forward uh, uh, to the board on Friday, uh, I'm very curious, did you think it was going to pass or did you think it would be voted down? Uh, you know, it's, it's always hard to tell at Metro Vancouver when you've got 40 different elected officials in a room uh, where these things are going to go. But when I saw this motion uh, the first time come forward, I just felt that, you know, as local mayors and councillors, this is not our jurisdiction. We've been elected by uh, our constituents to ensure that we have safe streets, that we have uh, our garbage picked up on time, that our cities are well run. But I don't believe as, as local elected leaders we're here to solve the world's uh, energy problems. This, this it will ultimately be an issue that the province and, and BCUC will have to uh, sort out. So I had an amendment that I put forward last week uh, that would have removed uh, what I consider the most problematic language of the motion from Richmond, and that was uh, banning natural gas in new construction, which, which from what I understand about uh, serious BC hydro uh, constraints uh, versus projected growth is just not realistic. Uh, and so what you mean by that is, is that even if we did do that, that uh, uh, BC Hydro just would not be able to uh, deal with the demand that would be required from people switching from natural gas or even those buying new places switching from natural gas to to uh, uh, electricity? Well, absolutely. There's an article, Von Palmer, today with comments from Premier Eby saying that he expressed doubts that hydro would be able to deliver the power needed to project future demand. He said, hydro's not keeping up. Our coldest, remember that, that really cold day two years ago, that coldest day on record? And, mm-hmm. and on that day in December, three quarters of the region's energy came uh, from natural gas. So we know, if, look, if we had the power, if we had the ability today to move fully electric, that's fantastic. But uh, we know that we don't, that for the short term at least, natural gas and renewable natural gas is going to be the only way we meet our short-term uh, greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. It's got to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Well, now, as you and I speak, uh, I see images from uh, the Okanagan uh, in regards to the fires there, many other wildfires across this country, many other nations dealing with wildfires around the Mediterranean. You have heat waves. Uh, this is the expected to be the hottest July uh, since records were first kept, uh, and it may be the hottest month ever in the history of mankind. Um, and that's how the, that's the challenge before us. Uh, Mayor Brody, you know, said, look, we have to make these changes. We have to make that leap. Um, what do you say to that argument that, look, uh, you could argue that local government's not the place, but, you know, it, buildings, uh, you can decide whether or not natural gas can be uh, included when a new, new home is, uh, a new home is built. You have a role to play in regards to uh, climate change. Yeah, and look, certainly I think that everyone has a responsibility to ensure uh, that they're fighting uh, to to stop climate change within the jurisdiction that they have with the slice of the pie that they've been given. uh, In reference to the fires, our job locally is to, you know, certainly we second our local firefighters out, and they've been heroes all over the province uh, and other parts of the world when these fires have taken place, and we've got to make sure that we have education in place for our citizens about being responsible citizens. But again, solving the world's energy problems is not the, the role or jurisdiction of, of local government. We, we just had this discussion through TransLink. TransLink uh, has just moved forward with the purchase of a number of natural gas buses. And there was a big push from mayors and councillors across the region for them to go fully electric. And they said, look, today we do not have the capacity or the infrastructure to do that. We would love to do that, but those buses would be sitting empty because we don't have the electric capacity or infrastructure to move forward with those purchases. So as technology improves, as infrastructure improves, as capacity improves, that's absolutely the direction that we need to be going. But we are urgently trying to meet our, our 2030 
GHG reduction goals, which is only seven years away, mm-hmm. we are not going to be able to meet them without access to natural gas and renewable natural gas. Where, 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 where is the low-lying fruit, uh, low-hanging fruit? Sorry, uh, in regards to making meeting those um, meeting those targets, like what kind of things can you do at the regional government to have an impact? Certainly, working on approvals of new construction and through the BC Building Code, we're looking to require. At higher standards in terms of energy efficiency in the houses that are being built. We're, we're going through the step code to a place where in the next couple of years, all new houses that are constructed will have to meet the passive house standard. Uh, so th- those are things that we can control and we have regulatory uh, approval through the BC Building Code to enforce. Uh, energy policy is, is, is not one of those things that's within our jurisdiction, which is why the motion that Metro passed last week was to send a letter to advocate uh, to the province and BCUC to, to make these changes. And I think eventually, as time goes on, obviously that's the direction we're going to be going. We just need to be realistic about what is actually achievable while balancing the fact that we are going to have a million new people in this region in the next 20 years. We're, uh, last year, we, we welcomed 55,000 new people to Metro. That's the equivalent of the entire city of North Vancouver. People are coming and... Uh, the areas of this region that are really uh, impacted by that are south of the Fraser and the eastern sector where these new houses are being built. And we have to think about the affordability challenges that are already going on for folks. I mean, gosh, between the uh, inflation, the grocery store prices and gas, other taxes that we have imposed as local government, property tax increases, utility increases, uh, banning natural gas for new construction, huge impact on affordability for folks that are just trying to get by right now. Uh, do you see a time where this could be done? I'm just curious. I mean, I get you, get the immediate concerns that residents have, but do you think inevitably we'll have to get to that point, so whether it's 2035, whether it's a little earlier, whether it's a little later, we will have to get to a point where we will want to ban the use of natural gas or at least natural gas not being used in, in new construction? Absolutely. I, I think that's where we're going. I mean, there was a time where the whole world was was run on coal. Uh, and now, in, uh, and still many parts of the world are run on coal today, uh, and we've moved off of that as, as a primary energy source. We're moving uh, away from, from gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles, so that, that is the, the trend that we're headed. But in, in the short term, uh, certainly renewable natural gas, uh, especially, which is actually what Florida has proposed to be pumping into new construction, primarily be 100% renewable natural gas. Uh, is it clean? Is it, is it electric uh, power? No. But it's, it's a heck of a lot better than some of the other sources out there around the world today. So right now, there's been no indication from the province that they're heading in that direction. But certainly, this is a, a point that the majority at this point uh, at the Metro Vancouver board say the province needs to head in this direction. Yeah, and, and certainly, um, you know, our, our role at Metro, you know, some, some folks see, see us as, as advocates. I, I see us really as more of a, a utility company. I think people expect through Metro Vancouver and our local municipalities that, uh, you know, we have clean drinking water coming in, and when we have, we flush our, our toilets, they they go places. And uh, I, I think they're looking for us to do that work efficiently and cost effectively. I don't think they're looking for us to to play the role of of uh, provincial regulators, or, or we would have run to be those people. Dylan, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Jazz, thanks for having me on. For listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.